my god. <laughs> the things you find on YouTube. Oh, but it ties so well into the show. That was Doug from... YouTube. YouTube. Love it, Doug. From seven years ago. <laughs> we just randomly found. It's still relevant to this day. It is. Stealing babies. TNT. Well, he didn't do that. Well, according to her. TNT, it's dynamite. It's dynamite. So. Welcome to Parababble. Number 25. Number 25. High five it. High five it. That is cool. Where's our cake? Ugh. Where's our dancers? We'll get it. Yeah. We'll get our cake. Yeah, don't we have somebody who could probably make us a Mothman cake? Probably. Maybe Doug. 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 So uh, we are Parababble. And this is... Rob. And Allison. And I'd be Jeff. Yes. Yeast. You gotta say yeast. <laughs> if anybody out there knows about yeast, please write us. <laughs> How can they write us? Uh, they can catch us on Facebook. Dot com yeah. slash parababble. You guys in the dot coms, dot tas, dot orgs. Or just look for us. We're parababble. Parababbles. We're parababble everywhere. Twitter, Instagram. At parababble. We're everywhere. Also email podcast at gmail.com. And you can catch us if you have any email you want to send over to Prone, our uh, paranormal investigation group. You can send us mail there, and we'll answer parababble questions. No, we're just confusing people, but yeah. Yes, because we are actually a paranormal group called Prone. Oh. We're still Prone, right? Of course we are. Okay. We, we haven't gone off the air yet. <laughs> they haven't kicked us <laughs> off yet. So <laughs> lots of ghost hunting shows are going off the air lately, but uh, no, we're still we're alive still kicking and around. Twenty five. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna we're gonna have our part two of Mothman today, but we're gonna give you a little uh, recap of part one, which. Our, our paranormal group is gonna go to this Mothman festival next year, and yes. we're gonna we're gonna dance in feathers. Yeah, we'll go next year and check it out. Yeah. So, quick recap of part one on the Mothman. Okay, so part one, I went crazy. You went off the deep end. I went off the deep you end. You tunneled down deep, right? We're going to go even off farther off the deep end on this one. That's scary. Oh, it's going to get... Sweet. If, I, if the last one was insane, this gets... This is just batshit. Really? It is. Okay, so quick recap. Um, Point Pleasant, West Virginia. There's a TNT area there that... Because it's dynamite. Because it's dynamite. <laughs> Sorry. Don't win the fight. <laughs> <laughs> we should close our show out with that. Okay. And um, there was a lot of um, making of dynamite, and there's a lot of powders and chemicals that infected the area around Point Pleasant, known as the TNT area. Big breath. McClintock Wildlife Preserve. Then in 1966, the Mothman was first sighted, and he's running around Point Pleasant, West Virginia, terrorizing people. Named well, Connie. Hundred, yeah, one of them's name is Connie, but there's hundreds of witnesses. Lots of people saw him. He's a six-foot-tall, gray being um, he, with a human-shaped body, and the one key thing is that he has piercing red eyes and wings that span about ten feet. And he's killing German shepherds and messing with people's eyes. Yeah, I don't like the part about him killing German shepherds. That's not cool, dude. I like dogs. Um, yeah, and another thing is... Did you get that, Mothman? Rob doesn't think it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Stop. conjunctivitis. People develop cleat conjunctivitis, where their eyes become red, swollen, and itchy after seeing the Mothman. And that's an inflammation of the eyes due to prolonged exposure to ultraviolet rays. Theories that we've thrown out are all of them, including it being a mutated sandhill crane, which is crap. 
an angel or a devil, a pterosaur from prehistoric times, or a thunderbird because of Chief Cornstalk's curse. That's the one I like. Or a tulpa, which just means that everybody made it up in their heads and manifested it physically. Tulpa sounds like a chip dip. That could be. <laughs> Sorry. Chip dip. That's what dip. you said, right? Chip tulpa flavored. Dip. Like okay. you dip chips in tulpa. Thank you. Can I have a little tulpa with my chip? Can I have a tulpa with my Trisket? Oh, damn. My tulpa's a six-foot-tall moth, man. <laughs> huh? I heard he's got dip. <laughs> All right, so we're going to kick off into part two. So, part two. And we're going to get banging away right into the yeah, so excuses. In part one, we covered every, anything and everything about Mr. Mothman himself. Hang on, I'd like to clarify something. Yes. Banging. The reason I said banging and Allison laughed at me because she's getting dirty-minded over here. <laughs> I was going with banging because of the TNT. Thank you. Sure Continue. You I love how you had to like just make sure that everyone understood <laughs> had that. Had to clarify That's a that. Stretch to explain because it. now nobody TNT. was thinking that until you just said it. Right. And yeah. put it out. No there. one said anything about moth men or women banging. Just saying. TNT. <laughs> yeah. Boom. Where did boom boom? Okay. That's what you were thinking. That's why you giggled. No, that's not what I was thinking. Yes, it was. You said chip dip, and it sounded like something else at first. Which confused me a little. Well, which what is, what did it sound like? You, which is why I asked you that. What do you think but I said? But then right chip after shit? that, you talked about something else. So well, just, what's the chip tip about? It got, it got a little well, crazy. Hold on, though. What did you think I said? Hang on, though. It's neither here nor there. Now she don't want to. Now, now, no. now she's gonna get quiet. Yep. Okay. So we're starting off here. I'm sorry. I had to do a couple clarifying points here. Rob, you now have the floor. Okay. So did you guys know that? In Point Pleasant in 1967, in addition to the Mothman, there was actually an insane number of UFO sightings. I choose C. What? Letter C. Okay. Is that the answer? Yeah. Oh. So, yeah. So we got a lot of UFOs turning up now that this... An absolutely insane amount of UFO Are sightings. Are they all the same kind of UFOs? Are no. they different kinds? They're different kinds. And there were even more sightings of UFOs than Mothman sightings during this span of time. So could that be our government coming down, swooping in, trying to watch uh, what's going on down there? Mm, who knows? Okay. Because this is weird. Did anyone get abducted? Yes. Oh? Did a Mothman get abducted? Maybe the Mothman is can't be abducted because he's here from the aliens. Do Just the sure. aliens look like the greys? No. Ooh. That would put a nice hole in that whole theory of a gray man, right? Okay, go on. Okay, so there were literally hundreds of UFO sightings that were reported. Any that are documented? Yes. Besides just verbally? Um, I believe that Mary Heyer, who was the reporter for the Athens, Athens Messenger. Yep. Who doesn't... She... She doesn't take any... She doesn't take any crap. So she's, she's very, she's very, I take it she's That's very, the impression I got from, from her, from okay. the research that I did. She's like Lois Lane. Yeah, Lois Lane in the mid-60s. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, the, all the reports came to her, mostly, in this town. And so she reported on whatever ones she obviously thought were legit. Did she have an affair with Mothman? I don't think so. But her niece was the one that had the conjunctive cup of the Dadius. Of the eyes. Itis. Yeah. She had the itis of the eyes. Yeah. The ultraviolet lights puffed out the eyes. We'll get back to her in a minute. 
Oh, she's back in the news again. She'll be back. She'll, she gets into this more. Um, okay. Let's see. So reports of the UFOs, um, like I said, they varied. They're not. They weren't all the same. Um, they varied from people just seeing different colored lights in the sky to actually seeing flying saucers that were silver smooth and spherical in shape, like the typical flying saucer. Okay. Um, one of those specific reports that I found that I thought was kind of funny is that a couple spotted red lights along the Ohio River, because this is one thing I didn't explain in the last episode either, is um, Point Pleasant is like in West Virginia, but it's right on the border of Ohio. And the Silver Bridge connects West Virginia to Ohio. Mm. So, with the Ohio River right there. Here comes the conspiracy theories. Not yet. So, this couple spots these red lights along the Ohio River. And when they investigated, they saw a UFO craft land and then watched as little men begin to come in and out of the, of the craft. And this happened for a while to the point where another couple actually came and witnessed the same thing. Okay. No. Oompa, loompa, doompa dee doo. No. I've got another riddle for you. What do you get with a big, huge man who sort of resembles a bat? <laughs> Come on. Really? It, yeah, no, it's good. I'm laughing at little it. Little green men. They don't even say they're green. They're just little men. They're just little men. Ship. Well, hold up, though. Now, you just said people are starting to see this and they're watching it. Yeah. I'm going to go back to what we said in part one, or what Allison pointed out. Where's the freaking camera? Where's the cameras? Now that you know that these things are dropping out of the sky like flies, why aren't people, like, posting up and saying, chk, chk, with their little light bulb well, cameras, or whatever they have? Or, I don't know. Did they have Here's Polaroid the cameras in yes, the 60s? they did. I don't know how well these cameras are going to be taking pictures of lights in the sky Listen, at night. you've got, like, documented guys' cases, and landing. they're taking pictures of, like, kids jumping out of bed with cameras in the 60s. Like, there are ways to document these things. I'm just knowing from my own experience, when, like, if you go outside... And when you are abducted? Yes. <laughs> and you try and take pictures of, like, the moon or something, and, like, like your cell phone camera, which is probably ten times more powerful than any camera that they had in the 1960s. And it doesn't really show up that great. Okay, so what you're saying but, is we have to be ten feet away from this alien ship with little men coming out or whatever they are yeah, to the, get a good picture. I mean, the evidence is just what... It does drive me a little crazy because... You have so many witnesses. Do you feel like we're trying to pick you apart right now? So what did the men do? Did they, like, get out and high-five each other and crack open a beer? And... Yeah, we hit Earth. Ooh. I don't know. That's the extent <laughs> of that story. <laughs> we you saw it. that in your head, too, didn't you? <laughs> yes, I did. It was so cool. They're like, oh! <laughs> Crash landed! <laughs> well, so to go along with the UFOs, again, there were countless instances and reports of phones not working and or having strange electrical interference or beeping in them when people were trying to use their phones. Okay. So See, again, in that part, like, I actually believe that there might be something to that because the technology was so primitive at that point that you would think that if there was some kind of electrical current or field going on, it would be able to mess with that stuff. Like, nowadays that wouldn't happen, but I could see that as being plausible. Yeah. The cause of it, not so much, but the reality of it actually happening... Windshield cables. Yeah, technology has definitely grown since then. Yeah. So. I mean, if you took some tinfoil and wrapped it around the antenna on a car, you'd probably get some interference. Yeah, I mean, again, the, yeah. the same similar things happen when Mothman would show up, too. So that's kind of an interesting thing. So he's a conductor? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> no, not that type of conductor. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so there was one other thing that showed up in Point Pleasant. Okay. 
in addition to the Mothman and the UFOs. Richard Gere? No. (laughs) (laughs) The Men in Black. What? No. Get out of here. Yeah. So Will Smith came. (laughs) Looking pretty badass, I would imagine. Yeah. Pretty fly. He rapped. With his flashy memory thing? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So the Men in Black are, like, now on the scene. Yeah. The Men in Black. Like, legit. The legit. Real men in black. So how do we know that? Because people are seeing these men in all black walk around the in town. Suits. Yes. Ask questions. Yeah. Well, really? we are in. We are yeah. in this, back ass with country. Weren't they? How do we know they crazy. just weren't like black tie, black tie paranormal group? Well, well, it's, it's just strange. They just acted very strange. So some groups have dress codes. <laughs> we don't. Do we? <laughs> Not to wear your khakis with your black shirt. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Rob. We're talking, Rob's just like, all right, get it all out, guys. Put a blazer on and look professional. <laughs> Jesus, we can't go anywhere. That's why I can't have nice stuff. <laughs> okay, so the men in black are there in their suits and they're being noticed for. Well, after <coughs> after the reports of the Mothman and all the UFOs started coming in, shortly after that is when the residents of Point Pleasant who were witnesses to these events, actually started getting visited by these men in black. And here's a quick description of all of them. And they were very odd descriptions here. They wore black suits, of course, and they all had tan or dark complexions, looking like they were Asian. Uh And they had pointed facial features, such as their noses and ears. And they would also sometimes be seen wearing large sunglasses and the weird thing about it is that all of their clothing was either having just been out of style, like it was old, or they were in styles that were not yet in fashion. They would become in fashion like several years later. So we had Men in Black coming from the past and the future. Yeah, it's almost like they couldn't quite get the timeline right. Um, doesn't this kind of fall into the black-eyed kids, too? Their the skin color... Like, it's not really yeah. their skin. Yeah. yeah they act the way Almost they like an Asian type stuff. thing. I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of different... Okay. Yeah, and um, but they would show up in cars from the 1940s and 50s, usually black Cadillacs. Nice. Gangsta cars. And these cars were always in absolute pristine condition, even though these cars from the 1940s and 50s had to have been 15 to 25 years old at the time. They look flawless, not a scratch on them. Did you see if either we ever like found the mother load of these cars? That would be so yeah. badass. There's actually a report that I heard about, and I think it was in John Keel's book, where someone actually wrote down the license plate number for one of these things. Oh. And took it to a local police officer or something, and they ran it, and there was no record of it whatsoever. It sounds like a government job. So somebody was astute enough to copy down the license plate of one of these cars and go to the local police department and have them run the plate, but no one can take a freaking picture of anything? Well, they're not walking around with their Polaroid cameras it's in just their it. pockets. No one walks around with cameras. Polaroids don't fit in your back pocket. It's a very different time. I don't yeah. know. I want to talk to someone from the 1960s and ask them if they owned a camera. Well, owning one and carrying it around two very different things. Back and then. how many people are willing to put their neck out there and... Yeah, this goes into the whole it's not real syndrome. But if you had all these weird things happening, wouldn't that be the time you would carry the camera around? I would say one out of ten. Maybe one out of twenty would be like that. Not like today where there's like 
15 out of 20 that's that are like... That's all you need. You need one photo out okay, of well, hundreds but of Okay, well, that's like finding a needle in a haystack, isn't it? There might be, like, legit pictures of men in black out there. Well, there is. Yeah. Are there? Yes, I have it in my book. Yeah, I thought so. I did, That's the one that's that the I one you were reading. Look into, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. looked like a regular gentleman hat, tie, suit, jacket. And really, at the time, like, you take a Asian? picture of these people, no. it's like... Did he have a pointy nose and pointy ears? No, he just looked like a regular businessman. It's Did he have like... sharp teeth? Nope, he wasn't smiling. It's not a chupacabra. Oh. <laughs> Are you trying to lure me in with the, the fingernails? It's the sharp teeth. Oh. Did he have sharp teeth? I don't know. Okay, so we got... Where are we at? We're getting Men ourselves lost. So we with got the men in black running around with their cars in pristine yeah. condition. Someone got the license plate. Yeah, and it showed up as nothing. It showed up as nothing. So... They would also talk in an odd manner. Like, their behaviors were very odd as well. Um, they almost spoke in, like, a sing-songy voice pattern, and their words would often sound rehearsed. Isn't that common for Men in Black? Yeah. That their mm-hmm. voices don't sound right, like, metallic or something metallic. weird yeah. about them? They're like, almost robotic. Uh, and that they sound... really Men in Black or something <laughs> like that. They want a Trisket chip dip. <laughs> yeah, but it almost... Like, people said... <laughs> <laughs> that when they would come and say things to them, it's almost as if everything that they said was rehearsed, and if somebody said something to them or asked them a question that they didn't have on their script, they wouldn't know how to respond. To so they'd be lost. They just actually would not say anything to them. They would just be confused. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Yeah, it's almost as if they were thrown off a script if someone said something to them that they weren't prepared for. And they would also often become confused by very basic things, such as utensils, Pens and pencils. <laughs> really? Yeah. Pens and pencils. Yeah, they well, yeah. They, they probably they're telepathic at this point. Um, pens and pencils were probably like so ancient to them. So there's a report of a Men in Black coming into a diner, where he tried to actually drink a bowl of Jello because he didn't know <laughs> what it was or how to eat it. What? <laughs> yeah. I almost want to. I almost want to say that their skin was sagging. They're in a suit. Skin suit, maybe. It's gotta be an alien. Who doesn't know how to eat jello? A men in black. Oh my god, I gag on jello. I don't like the taste of uh, the feel of it. Yeah, just so, just pointing if we ever eat jello. It, well, it'll be a little rough on my end. FYI, you can't drink it. <laughs> and so it's the, liquid form, technically. The waitress at this diner <laughs> actually watched him for a while try to drink it before she had to come over and actually show him how to eat it with a spoon. You know, that is some good waitressing. I hope he left a good tip. I hope so too, but he's a men in black, so he probably left her like currency that was like from the time <laughs> in the future which you know. but if you're doing your research and you're trying to blend in why wouldn't you just order like a steak well, that's the <laughs> something that was like maybe they don't know actually reports of uh, them also coming into diners and ordering like they wouldn't know what to order and someone say like hey you want a steak and then they wouldn't know how to use the fork and the knife how to cut it up it's interesting it's almost like they're learning you know, and they need a better training and program. you got to wonder, if they're learning, and you don't really hear a whole lot of reports of them acting like this now, maybe they've learned by now, and they blend in seamlessly. Spooky. Well, they're... Well, yeah. I, okay, so let's let's bring this back around, this Men in Black. So they're there because they're investigating... Well, they would go to visit the witnesses of the Mothman or the UFOs, and they would tell them that they should stop talking about what they saw. Typical for Men in Black. Yeah. You know nothing. You don't. You know. 
you know, silence. Yeah, so this is where Mary Hyer comes back into it in full swing here. Um, because she was, as we said, the reporter. And no she nonsense. Would, she wrote a lot of articles about the Mothman and the UFO sightings in Point Pleasant. Did she become <coughs> famous because of this? Um, like no. in the town, like the people in know the her? Town, they might have known her already because she was a reporter in a small town. So she wasn't like doing this for like the notoriety. She wasn't like perpetuating the sightings or trying to dig stuff up just to keep it going. Not that I could find. Okay. Um, so in January of 1967, Mary was visited by Men in Black at her office. And he was short. He had weird buggy eyes and wore thick glasses. He spoke strangely and first asked her for directions like he didn't know where he was going. Uh, then he went on to ask her what right she had to print UFO stories. He asked her what she would say if she was asked to stop writing the stories. And her response was something along the lines of telling um, him that whoever said that she would tell to go to hell. <laughs> so that's where the no technical crap comes in. And okay. the Men in Black was just sitting like at her desk and he was oddly admiring this pen that was just sitting on her desk. And as Mary's watching this guy, she finally says to him, um, you can have that pen if you want it. And when she said this, the man smiled, took the pen, got up, and maniacally laughed as he left her office. Like he got a little treasure of his visit to Earth. Yeah. And then he tried to eat the jello with the pen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so this was witnessed by Mary and one of her co-workers. This man coming in there. Okay. Yeah. And again, like you got a, some weird guy coming in there, you know, you're not going to be like, oh. Well, you're going to know the out-of-towners, you know everybody like that, lives you know? there. Yeah. So, the men in black are just, okay, we got the UFOs dropping, UFOs dropping in, we got men in black, which are probably aliens. That's I mean, by, like, the, by the sound of this. That's the hint that I got. They're trying to research. blend in, like, yeah. and in anything else. Because there's do. actually, there, there's times when they went around and identified themselves as, like, uh, members of the Air Force. And John Keel wrote in his book that there's an actual document that the Air Force went around internally saying that there was people falsely identifying themselves as members of the Air Force. Don't they usually say that? Yeah, but that's almost like a disinformation thing to get you thinking the other way. Isn't that like a common thing for men in black, though? Don't they usually say that they're from the Air Force? These guys didn't always say they're from the Air Force, though. Most of the time, they didn't identify themselves at all. They just kind of showed up. Yeah, there was one absolutely crazy story. Um, This is the next one on my list. Uh, The Christensen family. Uh, Edward Christensen was the father and his family. They were visited by a man in black that was around six foot six. So this guy's like the polar opposite of the one that visited Mary Heyer. And it was after, shortly after they had spotted a UFO, I believe. Uh, but the men in black, he went to their house and he said that he was from something called the Missing Heirs Bureau and that Edward may be someone they were looking for uh, for an inheritance and like one of his long lost relatives died. Uh, Edward's wife, Arlene, let him in the house, even though they both doubted that Edward had any such relatives. It's almost like a common scam that you get in an email today, but this is the 60s, and he went to the doors. So the man and his family, they were kind of, especially the wife here, Arlene, she was kind of, um, she was on the ball with it. She knew something was strange about this guy. And he gave them a generic name um, that the Christiansons don't remember. And this was another common thing with the men in black. They would tell, they would identify themselves as like John Smith or Joe Brown or something really common that you could forget easily. 
Right, it would blend right in. Yeah, and um, so the man said that he was going to ask Edward a series of questions, and it would take 40 minutes. He was very specific about that. Uh, he said his nickname was Tiny, so that's what they referred to him as from now on. <laughs> As men in black, they got a sense of humor. There it is. They understand irony now. <laughs> they still don't understand Jello. No. So tiny. Um, he had buggy eyes, sickly pale skin, a tinny voice, and pointed features. So the typical. There's the metallic yeah, sounding voice. The, the typical um, description there. And so when he sat on the couch, Arlene noticed that he had a green wire attached to his leg as well as a gold or brass badge inside his suit coat pocket that had the letter K on it. And he clearly tried to hide this badge from them. Like, he did not want them to see it. Probably some type of identification group or something? Yeah, I'm not sure. It's it's weird. I I think the question, as as you're explaining all of this to us, do the did the men in black do you get the sense <clears throat> excuse me did you get the sense that they actually got answers they wanted or were they just there to kind of get close to the situation and just kind of observe and poke around a little bit but not really try to interfere with anything all the stories that i read is that they had all the answers and they wanted to make sure nobody else knew the answers or if they did think they were getting close they wanted to scare them right and keep them away Okay. All right. Makes sense. Yeah. So, Tiny here, he asked Edward a series of very strange questions about, like, birth- birthmarks and scars that he had, as well as other really random things that really didn't seem to be relevant to anything. Uh, and as time went on, as he keeps asking all these questions, his face, which was initially very pale and sick looking, mm-hmm. it started to become redder and redder. And he seemed to also becoming more and more uncomfortable. So he asked Arlene for a glass of water, and then he proceeded to take a yellow pill with it. And once he took the yellow pill, his facial features went back to his normal pale self, and he seemed fine. Hmm. And then he left, just about on time, probably at exactly 40 minutes. And Arlene, who had suspected him of being kind of strange the whole time, she watched him leave from her window. And she saw a black Cadillac pull up, with absolutely no headlights on. This is nighttime. And she picked him up. She couldn't see the driver because it was so dark and the guy didn't have his lights on. And the next day, Edward received a call saying that he wasn't the heir they were looking for and they found someone else. He wasn't the heir? Yeah. Missing. Because he, he said that he was a missing missing heirs bureau. Oh, yikes. So do you think these black Cadillacs were like converted over to work like spaceships? I don't know. UFOs where they could just fly because they don't need no light. They just have like their own internal. Yeah, that's the thing. They would drive around in these things with no lights on all the time. Yeah, which would stand out. You would think so. Yeah, because let's face it, you go down a road these days and you don't see a car with no lights. You you're like, oh, turn your lights on. Turn your lights on. That would stand out if it was a black Cadillac. You know, especially if the time zones were off, like the, you know, forty years prior, and then it's popping up, you know, pristine condition. So the men in black, they're, uh, they just sound pesty. Yeah. They just sound like, you they know, like creepy. a fly that just doesn't want to go away. Yeah, they sound creepy. They're definitely creepy, you know. Whose who's skin bags were they in? Skin bags. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I want to know. Because they did, they had like weird 
bodies and they just came across as being very strange. And that always like made me think about that too because you always hear that about the men in black that it looks like they basically like just take somebody's body and they get in the skin. It's just and, not right. Right, but like there's not, I mean, if you think about the sheer number of these men in black that are spotted all around, you'd think that there would be people missing. Right? Maybe there are. Because they got to get the bodies from somewhere. You never know. Well, I mean, you're not really saying that they're taking over actual people's bodies. No, I'm just saying we're taking we're taking some. What did you say? What'd you call it? Skin bags. Skin bags. No. And just covering up an alien and making them walk and talk, somewhat in a human form. That's why they don't look right. That's yeah. why their features are all a little weird. Their it, skin tone's not be, right. It could be right. something that they've used as, as a disguise. Maybe not necessarily an actual. So as soon as they get person, in the, the black know, Cadillac, they unzip their material uniform. that they've gotten to make themselves look this way. Yeah. I like the skin bags better. Skin bags. <laughs> that would be our new word. Like, uh, find someone who's about your height. Okay. That guy looks about good. So <laughs> why, if if we think, if we think that the Mothman has something tied into the aliens, and the Men in Black are a little off, and they might be aliens themselves, what are we chasing here? What's 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 their reasoning? Who knows? I mean, that's that's the thing. Like, there's so much going on right now, and there's going to be even more going on. And this is we're all still within the year, right? Yeah, this is all 1966, 1967. All right. Okay. So where does it now? How how are we leading this into something here? Um, the craziness. Yeah. If it can get any more crazier, it can. I'm sure it, it is. It will. It's about to. So. Next, we're going to talk about a guy named Indrid Cold. Who? Indrid Cold. Indrid. Indrid Cold. Indrid Cold. Have you Cold? guys heard about him yet? No, that's a very mm. odd name. Oh, yeah, it's a very strange name. Well, he's an alien, that's why. Oh. <laughs> At least they have names now. Yeah. Other than so, Green and Chris. I mean, this this is... um Okay. So, in November of 1966, a man by the name of Woodrow Derenberger, Woody, we'll call him, was driving along Route 677, which is out there by Point Pleasant, and his path was blocked by a UFO as he was driving. It happens. In broad daylight. Oh, yeah. He described it as a spherical gray shaft. Craft. Shaft? Shaft. It was like a shaft. What's going on? Is it cigar form? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was. It, it was? Yeah. Oh, yeah. see? Led right to it. The cigars weren't that popular back then. They're more popular today, but they could have been around. <laughs> I don't understand what everybody's giggling at. So we have a gray shaft in the middle of the road that this gentleman's staring at. <laughs> he was very up. entranced by it. He couldn't look away. <laughs> Did it take up one lane or two? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so... reach out and touch it to make sure it was real. So Woody stopped his car. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Woody stopped his car to look at his shaft. <laughs> okay, so Woody's on the bridge, or a uh, road, six, seven, wherever he is. This is so messed up. Okay. <laughs> the story. And is. this UFO in a cigar shape is landed, and it's blocked his path. Yes. So he stops his car, and a being gets out of the UFO and approaches his car. Just like that? Yeah, just like that. And the being, he looks like a human, though. Okay. He's human-like with an olive complexion, long dark hair, and was of average male size. And the main off-putting thing about him was he constantly had a huge grin on his face that just never went away. And there's a little picture of what he supposedly looks like. Kind of looks like the Joker. 
Yeah, you got a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, we will post all of these pictures and yep. stuff on the Facebook page. He looks page like the So the skin bag had some plastic surgery. Yeah. So this being started communicating with Woody telepathically. So this smile never gets off this guy's face because he's speaking to him telepathically. He tells him to roll down his window and to not be afraid. And this is when he identified himself as injured cold from the planet Lanulaus. Lanulaus? Lanulaus. Interesting. Yes. Cold told Woody that he sleeps, breathes, and bleeds as you do. He said that he would talk to, talk to him again and return soon. So Woody's story, this is what's really interesting about Woody's story here, about talking to him on the Route 77. It's during the middle of the day, Route 77. Mm-hmm. You would think there'd be a lot of cars coming by seeing this, right? Of course. There was. A number of other people reported seeing Woody pulled over on the side of the road, talking to this guy who fits Andrew's cold subscription with a UFO right in front of his car. Why they didn't stop? Why they just kept going? And... They just rubbernecked like it was an accident. Yeah, probably. Everyday I mean, thing out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, but a number of people corroborated his story by because they saw him. I, um, again, we're we're gonna go with nobody had a camera on them. Don't, Don't even go there. Have a camera yeah. when they're driving around seventy seven. All these, all these people. No, nope, nobody's. We've already established that no one has has a piece of paper, has a. a well, there are people that camera. do have cameras in a minute. There's a film maker that comes down to Point Pleasant. I only want to talk about it if he actually got an interview with the Mothman. So that is an artist <laughs> sketch of what that looked like, uh, that gentleman looked like. Though. Mm-hmm. He looks okay. very much like the Joker. He does. So because of the witnesses and the story itself, this attracted even more UFO and paranormal enthusiasts to the town. And they actually started to camp out at Woody's home because Injury Cold said he would be returning to visit him soon. Months go by, nothing happens. And eventually the UFO hunters get sick of camping out on his front lawn or something. And this is when Cold made the return to Derenberger. Woody. Cold supposedly took Woody to his home planet of Lanulaus, where he described a world similar to ours, but slightly different. All of the people looked to be Asian, and they were naked. (laughs) I think he got a hold of some... Acid. Yeah. That was big back then. Something. This is a stupid, stupid UFO abductee story. Lenulous. But this is is why it just gets crazy. is because Woody would apparently take frequent trips with Cold, disappearing for up to six months at one time. (laughs) And he would also communicate with injured Cold telepathically through long distances. And six months at a time. Like if someone came out and said this story now, you'd be like... This is bullshit. This is stupid. Like, mm-hmm. what evidence do you have? Who else is seeing these people? You're probably crazy, right? Right. Well, here's the thing. Woody submitted to a series of psychiatric tests, and he ended up passing all of them. He got a clean bill of mental health. Well, because he believed it. You can pass a lie detector test if you really believe that that's the truth. Or maybe his doctor was crazy, too, because apparently the doctor who performed these tests later admitted he that he was visited by Andrew Cold as well. What? <laughs> yeah. So Come now on. the chemicals are spreading. And Woody was not a single man. He was married and he had two kids. So he was... And this whole thing caused him to eventually get divorced. But 
Even after this, his ex-wife and the kids all admitted to seeing and interacting with injured cold firsthand themselves when he would come and visit Woody. So you know what I think? I think that they were farmers, and they grew some corn or other crops on that soil that Shrooms. was infected, and then they ate that stuff, and it made them all crazy. Well, they should have taken a family portrait with them. Then you would have had a picture. Or a Christmas card? Yeah. <laughs> the Darren Burgers and Mr. Cold. I mean, he's always smiling. It's perfect. <laughs> You'd be smiling, too. Um, Lenny, so... it's a great planet. <laughs> In, in addition to Cold, the family also said that they and Woody interacted with other aliens from Lanny Louse, which is interesting. The description of all these aliens, they sound like the Men in Black, don't they? Uh, like dark complexions, Asian-looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, Andrew Cold also, by the way, he wore a black suit. So let's stretch the story here. Men in Black actually come from another planet. That's the connection that I think they were trying to make with this whole thing. Eventually, Woody wrote a book about his experiences, and uh, in the book, he, it's called Visitors from Lanyolaus, by the way. Uh, in the book, he claims that while writing it, he received constant phone calls where people would tell him to stop writing. When he would leave his home, he would often return to find pages of the book missing out of his locked home. At one point, the home may have been clearly broken into with only the only thing no- noticeably missing was pages of the book. Uh, eventually, it was published. And Woody remarried, faded out of the spotlight, and died in 1990. So that's his story with Injured Cold. I feel like the kids were probably taking that book and like, everyone's going to know Chad's crazy. <laughs> like keep, keep pulling it out. If you'll forget this shit. <laughs> At that point, everybody knew it was crazy already if he was. But you, you don't... Um... My, my question was with these these stories that we're getting from these people or witnesses or, you know, participants in this. Are any of these guys still alive? Yeah, I think a number of them are. Like, if you go down to Point Pleasant, West Virginia, there's probably still people in the town that are still alive that are witnesses. They have a Mothman Museum down there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't all that long ago. It was the late 60s. So, so I what? mean, if these people were teenagers seeing these things, yeah, they're still around. A little older. Yeah, but they're still around. I'd love to just see what their mental stability would have been through the years and stuff. I mean, yeah. But you said there's so much going on right now in, in this one year mm-hmm. that it's this, you know, constant movement of different things, different shifts. You know, you got your UFOs, now they're in a picture. Men in black are like, our skin bags are running around everywhere. <laughs> So, where does that lead us to? I mean... Well, the one, like, really famous investigator that went down there was John Keel, a famous UFO researcher. I was going to ask that question. Yeah, and he's the one, um, the book I read, The Mothman Prophecies, not the movie, um, he wrote the book that the movie was based on. Okay. And he was a UFO researcher from New York City who spent a lot of time in Point Pleasant during this whole... Mothman, UFO, Men in Black, injured cold sightings. And he was actually in direct contact with Richard Derenberger. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. He had many, many conversations with the guy. I wonder what he believes in the sense of how real this story is. I got the impression that he believed him. Okay. I'm wondering, like, if there was a Hans Holzer or Ed and Lorraine or somebody out there that was top dog that went down there and put their, you know, knowledge to work to see if that was 
really happening. You know, obviously John mm-hmm. Keel's a main point in this because he put the book together. And... Yeah, um, but he he documents a number of his um, little excursions looking for the Mothman, and mainly the UFOs is what he focuses on in *The Men in Black*. There was one occasion, uh, and he actually teamed up with Mary Heyer, and they worked closely together for with a lot of these things. And so it's interesting, one of the first times that he was down there, he took a group of people to the TNT area looking for the Mothman. And he went with a few people. One of them was actually Connie Carpenter, who you'll remember was the teenage girl who saw the Mothman firsthand, and her eyes were burned with the condition that guy is. Itis. Yeah. And so she was still recovering from this when he took her out there, and she was afraid but she wanted to go out there and see you know right if something could be found so this was mary uh, connie connie john keel john keel and a few other people who and they I, all went looking for the mothman i think one of them was keith something who was connie's fiance okay and yeah they went to the tnt area looking for him and they approached an abandoned building where connie and john keel went inside the rest of the group stayed outside so they were using the buddy system uh, at one point, Connie freaked out and thought and claimed that she saw a pair of glowing red eyes. Um, John Keel did not see this, from what he said. But right around this time, the group outside heard a loud noise, which prompted Keel and Connie to run back outside. Uh, the source of the noise was unknown, but one of the women in the group, uh, her ears were bleeding. That's a long so way to go. Whatever it was, the noise or whatever happened out there to them started making this woman's ears bleed, which is a sign of a concussion. So... Connie uh, gets whatever she deserves at this point. Yeah, Connie, I think she's She's so just, scared by this thing that it ruins right, her eyes right. and, like, gives her this terrible reaction, and she goes out looking for it again. Poor right. Connie had a very hard time afterwards. I didn't take notes of this, but in the book, uh, John Keel writes about how she did eventually get married to her boyfriend there, and they moved away. And she was being harassed by the men in black afterwards, even. Like, she was almost abducted one day. Like, someone um, tried to abduct her. She was walking to school, I believe she was in college, and she got away from him. She went home, locked the doors, was petrified. She didn't leave the house for a couple days. Um, And then a couple days later, she was still in the house. Someone knocked on the door. She didn't answer, slipped a note underneath the door that said, we can get you anytime we want. Skin bags. Yeah. So... You, is there any video out there of Connie doing interviews? Have we seen anything? I is there don't any? Know. Yeah, that's a good question. Because I, I think. think she she was scared away by all of it, and she kind of just just stayed wanted away to get into like center all this. Okay. Especially after the Men in Black incident. I think she ends up just going batshit crazy with all of this. I think that put enough in her head that she's crazy because she made no money off of this or anything, and she wanted to go in the different direction. Something definitely happened, but. You know. Well, that's the thing. There really wasn't much money to be made off of this stuff back then. There was no 800 million paranormal UFO TV shows. You know, there was none. And well, even if you wrote a book, you're not really going to be making any money. Because some people are hams. They like the attention. I don't know. But, you know, again, with the mass hysteria, you're in this area for a year. Things are just, it's almost like it's fueling itself. And these things are going to greater escapades that are happening in this town. Yeah. Okay, so they went out there. Obviously, they didn't find anything. No, but there was another time when they did. Um, it was a night that um, 
John Keel and Mary Heyer were out looking for UFOs, and they began seeing lights fly around in the sky. Um, Keel stayed the whole night watching these lights go back and forth, like constantly, and um, Mary Heyer left. At one point, a UFO flew right by John's car. He noticed the lights were portholes on the side of the ship. Okay. And he actually makes reference to this in his book where he had a camera in the back seat of his car, but he was so entranced that he totally forgot to grab it. Which is stupid. Would you be entranced? Nope, not if I did this for like a living and this was my whole... I'd have that. He's like a UFO guy, isn't he? This is like what Mm -hmm. he does. This is his thing. He wrote many books about it. So if you're out for the purpose of trying to find these things... You'd have that thing on your hip. Yeah. Ready I mean, to go. That's like the holy grail. That's like what you live for, right? What's it doing right. in the backseat even? Yeah. Because he's probably not, he's probably watching stuff so far up there, not even thinking about it. He's like, yeah. oh. Put it on a strap and then one, wear it. <laughs> right, exactly. And then one zips by his car. Yeah, I mean, if they're watching the UFOs for hours on end, I mean, I don't know what his excuse is. Might have been the Jeffersons. <laughs> there was another time when... Um, him and Mary Heyer were looking for the UFOs and they saw them again as this was like a common occurrence. And he started flashing a flashlight at it in Morse code. Oh no. Yeah, which I've heard is not a good idea to flash a flashlight at a UFO. Did you like hear that? Close encounters? Yeah, well he, he uh, spelled out descend in Morse code to this UFO. And it went down then. It like lowered down. Uh, well, he did that. Yeah, about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so Keel, he would go around Point Pleasant constantly, like, he would literally just go to door to door to see, like, if anybody had seen anything sometimes, if he thought, like, he suspected something. Did he wear a black suit when he did it? You know what he did? He did, the very first part of his book is him recounting a story where he went to someone's house, like, at night because his car broke down and he was wearing a suit and he was unrecognizable in the town, and the people, like, freaked out and, like, slammed the door on him because they thought <laughs> Big he was city man coming in. Yeah. Um, the, for the listeners out there, what, do you know the name of the, the John Keel book? Mothman Proph- Prophecies. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, like I said, he would go around knocking at people's door. And uh, there was one occasion where he went to a farmhouse. And once he knocked on the door, the farmer answered the door with a shotgun in hand and told him to leave before Keel even had a chance to explain who he was or why he was there. So later on, he went back to the home with Mary Heyer, and she went to the house to talk to the, the farmer by herself at first, and Kiel stayed in the car. Um, he went on to find out that the farmer received a phone call just minutes before Kiel arrived from his neighbor telling him that Kiel was coming and that he was trouble. After Kiel had come, come and went, uh, the farmer called his neighbor again and found out that he had been working in the fields all day and never made any such call. Hmm. This is another weird thing that Keel goes on to describe is that people get phone calls from people and it's not really them because later on they'll make reference to the call to and each other and be like, no I idea. never made that call, I don't know what you're talking about. Including calls from Keel himself to other people. You know who I think, listening to this in part one that we did and um, part two that we're in right now, this um, Mary that works for the Athens Gazette or the News she seems to be a central point on receiving all the stories. She has all the information that comes in, the factual parts of it. She seems like she would be the perfect person to be that investigator. Yeah, John Keel come in, he's the big city boy, whatever. But she seems like that if anybody would have some sense of, you know, what is really, you know, the pulse of this town, 
what's going on. It would be her, and then she could put some type of light to this and just compare all the facts and stuff because... Yeah, I would have loved to hear, like, more of what she had to say, but she did die in, like, the early 70s, so... Well, that's a bunch of bullshit. Well, but the thing yeah. about that, too, is, okay, so all this stuff is going on. So now you have all these UFO sightings, you have people, like, saying that they're seeing this stuff all around. It's like, Mothman's still happening at the same time as this stuff is going on, or... Yeah. Could yeah. you imagine? So like, it's this like is a, a little tiny town. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Then that makes sense. If there's if there's that much stuff going on, you got Mothman down. You know, just flying down everywhere. You got UFOs coming in. You got Men in Black on the ground hitting houses. It's got to be. Where's like, the National Guard? Yeah, really. <laughs> uh, well, it's not real. Don't ruin the story. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like a right. town under siege. You, it it almost seems like that. You know. It's a, it's yeah, a, it's I mean, a small window. Especially, I know. mean, where's Tom Brokaw? Why isn't he there? Like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> well, Tom um, Brokaw. But anyways, I was there on the day of. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is Tom Brokaw signing off. But you know what I mean. You would think that national spotlight would be on there. Right. You would think so. Not just the bridge drop. If it's really like this crazy, as like. You know, the documentaries and the books are saying that all this stuff is happening for, like, on a consistent basis. Like, a nightly occurrence, something is going on that... Well, there was a documentary crew that went down there during this time that Kiel had brought with him. Okay. But before I get... I just wanted to finish that farmer story really quick. Yeah. The farmer that said he got a phone call from his neighbor that he really didn't, he was actually a UFO witness. Because a couple days before, he spotted one in his field... And it scared his cattle so badly that they ran through an electric fence to get away from it. And the field was burnt where the UFO had hovered. So he knew something. And somebody called him to tell him to scare him into not talking to John Keel. Because he knew he was investigating these things. So, disinformation again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I'd like, I, when we sit here, you know, in 2016 and think about like 1966... It's a whole another world away from us, but how far back, I mean, if you're living in this small town, yeah, everybody's going to know everybody's business, but can they line up these stories? Are there, I mean, are there gaps that are just missing because they really don't, maybe they don't talk. If my neighbor's four or five miles down the road or something like that, 8,000 acres, maybe they're not getting all the pieces together at once when this is happening. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I grant, I grant. There's going to be some gossip and talk that if there's, you know, well, strangers yeah, the in town. Well, yeah, local diner at the local watering hole right. at the right. local whatever it is. I mean, most people are going to stop in. You know, what about the people who are fearful that wouldn't go out of their house or stuck to their land? Yeah, you know, and they might have had more information. You know, it's just, it's, it's it's it makes me wonder how it worked. Yeah, but to finally like address the whole, no pictures, no film. Keel did bring a documentary filmmaker with him to Point Pleasant, and the filmmaker decided that it was worth shooting something there. So he returned later on with an entire film crew during, like, 1967 at some point. And all their equipment failed? Every time that they saw a UFO, their cameras would jam up or not work for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Then they finally did capture a UFO on film. They brought the film back to get developed, and it somehow was destroyed during the developing process. So, um... Your local drugstore pharmacy developing film was actually run by skin bags. Well, I don't know if you went to a pharmacy to get it done. I mean, these guys well, were professional you know I mean. filmmakers. Yeah. So, 
we got some oddness with all of this. Yeah, I mean, Keelhead is running it with the Men in Black, too. There was one time when he claimed that he was in New York City at home when a Men in Black snuck up on him and took his picture, and then he spoke with Mary Heyer and found out that the same thing had happened to her a few days earlier. Uh, he theorized that the UFOs and aliens operated on some kind of EM spectrum because of all the electronic interference surrounding them. And I also think he seemed paranoid because he went on in his book to talk about all the drama within the UFO community, which sounds a little familiar today, doesn't it? Mm. He said that groups would, like, bicker with each other and they would, like, try to lock down witnesses. They would tell them, you know, oh. talk to us, but don't talk to those guys. We got it. <laughs> we just locked down buildings. So these people are locking down witnesses. We yes. don't lock down buildings. But... Prone doesn't. But what I'm saying is today's paranormal groups, there's a lot of them that oh, do yes. that. So they were, like, Turf ahead wars. of the curve. They're like, yeah, we don't want the building. We want the person. Yeah. <laughs> so John Keel goes off the deep end a little bit himself, just as I have in the last two episodes of Parababble. Uh, towards the end of his book, he talks about how he was in regular contact with alien abductees who would speak to him while channeling the aliens that had abducted him. <laughs> These aliens would predict future events, and they would tell John Keel about them. They gave him information that was almost identical to the Martin Luther King assassination. Keel even said that he tried to warn Martin Luther King before his assassination was, but was not able to get a hold of him. Yeah, but a lot of people thought that that was going to happen. Yeah, but he, he said that the prediction given to him was that he was going to get shot um, in the throat while standing on a balcony in a hotel or something. Like, like identical to what he actually did get killed with. So, so maybe it was the person <laughs> that gave him the prediction that assassinated him. Uh, right. <laughs> maybe. got a random skin bag. We're going to take uh, this guy out. So towards the end of his book, he really sounded like he was the center of attention for all of the men in black and alien beings, which was kind of... John Keel's still alive? No, he died in 2009. That's what I thought. I have a couple books by home. I'm at home with him. I don't have to check into it, but... Yeah. Alright, so... so we got a few more things. So are we getting up to the uh, bridge? That this is the knows? bridge. This we is are the at the bridge part. point. Okay, so okay. this is the end of it all. In Point Pleasant. The Silver Bridge, like I said, connected Ohio to West Virginia. And a lot of people go over to Ohio from Point Pleasant to go shopping because I guess their taxes are lower over there. Okay. Kind of like Canadians over here. Mm -hmm. uh, December 15th, 1967, 37 vehicles were stuck on traffic because uh, on the bridge because there was a traffic light at the end of the bridge that was not working. It was malfunctioning, so it backed up traffic all along the bridge. And it's believed that at the time a bar broke off of the bridge, and this is what caused the collapse. So a bar snapped, the bridge started swaying back and forth, and then it just collapsed. So 46 people were killed and 9 were injured. Uh, Mary Heyer confided to John Keel that she had a dream about presence floating in the water before the incident happened, which is exactly what happened, because this is December 15th, Christmas, so people, are traveling. people were coming yeah. over with Christmas gifts, and that's something mm -hmm. that people saw, they were, there were gifts floating in the water because people were Christmas shopping. Um, days earlier, there were reports of the Mothman being seen near on the bridge, actually shortly before the collapse, and a few days before, there were reports of the Men in Black physically climbing up the bridge like they were climbing on the, the posts and the rails um, it's debated whether the mothman caused the bridge collapse or he was there to warn the town and after the bridge collapsed all the sightings of the mothman the ufos and then the men in black completely stopped yeah because the town had something else to focus on yep good point 
Seriously, yeah. like they had, you know, to get over and mourn the loss of probably a lot of their fellow townspeople. Yeah, 37 people in a small town is noticeable. Now, of the survivors or people that were on that bridge, did they see anything at that time when that bridge was collapsing? Not that I'd have heard, but only nine people survived out of almost All 50. Of and they saw nothing of the Mothman at that present moment or odd men in black people around there that we know of that we know of so we're almost saying that's a little bit of a possible murder scene here or some type of you know they set that up if they're taking bars apart or they're being spotted there that's what's implied if they saw the men in black climbing on the bridge maybe they did something but the bridge was old. It was made in like the early 1900s, and it was meant to sustain the Model T Fords, which weighed like a thousand pounds or versus like tons. That. And then, like the average car in the 1960s weighed four times as much. So. Well, that was going to be my next point. If you have 37 cars on an old bridge like that, yeah, you know, that's the thing. Could it have very easily started at a, the weakest point? Sure and could just, have. Psh, yeah, and that's then down what it sounds like it happened. It was just too much weight for the old bridge. That was not designed to carry that much weight. So, this whole thing it kind of drove me a little crazy because I was like, you know, it took place one year time in West Virginia. So I wanted to dig in a little bit and see if I could find any other reports of the Mothman being seen outside of Point Pleasant and, then, and during different times. And I found a small list of sightings starting 2001. 2001. September 11th, 2001. September 11th, 2001. In New York City. A large winged creature was reportedly seen flying from the World Trade Center towers on the day of the terrorist attack. That's all I have. There's no more information on that. It was also spotted in 2001 in Sedalia, Missouri, in Camden, Maine, and in Mawan, Cornwall, England. In 2002, it was spotted in San Diego, California. 2003, in Veracruz, Mexico. And all sorts of other random places that don't really seem to have any relevance because I don't know, I can't really tie any sort of tragedy to them besides the September 11th one. Except for in 2007, the Mothman was spotted in Minneapolis a month before the I-35 bridge collapsed and killed 13 people. Interesting, another bridge collapse. Hmm. You know, it'd be really far-fetched for people to sit around and think up of this bullshit. Like the bridge collapsing, they've seen a Mothman there at some point before it happened. I mean, what... What, I know what would be the point of people seeing him when nothing happens? Right, I know. And then you have to look at when was the actual report made? Yeah. Was it made previous to the incident right, happening? Right. I guess he's also been spotted a lot recently in like Afghanistan. Random uh, wars. Um, yeah. Hot the, states. The most know. recent sighting countries is in Singapore. There was three sightings last September, twenty fifteen. Now, Allison, you can ask the question. Did anyone pull out their exactly. phones? Exactly. This is what drives me crazy. Nobody in Singapore got a picture of them. Because there's three witnesses in Singapore in September last year. Nobody got a picture of them. 
I want to read this um, sighting from Singapore, one of them, because the guy's name is awesome. In September 2015, a teacher in Singapore said that he saw a winged humanoid inside an abandoned house. Fergus Waffles, a 46-year-old geography teacher at a Singapore school today, said that he was walking his dog at the Istana Wooden New York area when he spotted the alleged creature earlier this morning. Also, a 19-year-old claims that he saw a winged humanoid in broad daylight in eastern Singapore. The college student said on Tuesday that he was scouting location for a student film at an abandoned hospital. When he was walking out of the hospital doors and having explored the surroundings, um, he heard a noise similar to a large monkey rustling around the treetops. Um, what he saw next was one of the most terrifying experiences of his life, he says. He left the building and he saw a creature. It appeared to be halfway up one of the trees with huge wings that stretched out from his body, which appeared to be mostly human. Um, so this happened. Also, a third sighting between a couple bird watchers in their 50s. They saw it at 2.30 p.m. Her and her husband went to the forest looking for birds. I do love good bird watching sessions, she told Cryptozoology News. This is why my husband and I live in Singapore, a hub of beautiful birds. So the two 50-year-old bird watchers I could see not having a phone, but the 19-year-old? The film student? Yeah, oh, come on. And he was filming, he was doing stuff, work with it? Mm-hmm. So he didn't whip that camera around? Nope, I guess not. And the bird watchers described him as being 9 to 10 feet tall, which is much larger than what they point pleasant. Thunderbird. Yeah. So what's the moral of the story? Don't get into a two-week-long binge on looking into the Mothman, because you'll get really paranoid looking this up late at night by yourself. You know, the studio just across the street has nothing but trees and like a little mini forest over there. Yeah, I know. You, you know, should go take a I, camera and walk through there. I came home from work the one day after listening to John Keel's book about all the conspiracies and visits from Men in Black, and there was a piece of paper jammed in my door in my apartment. Really? And I saw... The first word sticking up on it, it says, do you want to know the truth? And I got all paranoid. Thinking, but then you realized it was Jehovah Witnesses? Sure as hell was. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so they're aliens? They might be. They're skin bags. <laughs> they're skin bags. They have an explanation for the men in black. They're just Jehovah Witnesses. I, you know, this is, this is a really tough story to really, I don't know which way to fall on this. Because it's like anything. It's like a Bigfoot. Um, but like, it falls in the crypto family. But he seems more intelligent than your average crypto. Yeah, it, it does. It does. But, you know, the length of this problem or sightings or whatever happened in this little town lasted a year. If it was a government thing or a test yeah, that's of a thing. something. It could fall into crypto. It could fall into government You know, what testing, was, what was going on in 66 and 67 in the United States that we might have needed to take our attention and look elsewhere? Vietnam. Was okay. that happening yet? That was happening, right? Or it was about to? It was about to. Yeah. Or either it was. If we're wrong, I'm sure our fans will correct JFK. us. Right. So you needed something to make mainstream news. And obviously, it made some type of news. But how know, big of an event... I how it was at Right. The time. I was going to say, how big of an event was it to distract, you know, Blowing a bomb off in the middle of the United States in 66 or 67 would get the attention away from anything else that you want. You know, it sets up your storyline somewhere else. But these people, you know... I think the thing that 
it has made me go crazy about this whole thing is that <clears throat> you have the TNT area that's infected and doing God knows what to everything mm-hmm. in the area. And then you have so many witnesses. And it does drive me crazy that nobody has physical evidence. Could be a little lenient because of the time period, but that's just insane. And then you have the physical symptoms with the conjunctive itis. And then you have like all the interference with electronic devices. Okay. So And the men in black themselves, which were very real, apparently. But who were they? That's the question, Marley. Most mostly. You know, men in black you can put out there as a disinformation story. You can put the uh, the radios, TVs, electronics going wacky as a story with, you know, EMF or whatever's going on. You know, let's throw in the red eyes for a good cause and make up a story in a small town of a bunch of, you know, farmers. It was an owl. And we can go with the, we can go with the barn owl. I think we need to go to the festival and get an idea for ourselves what we think happened there. I would love to go to the Mothman Festival in Point Pleasant. But you know what? I think I need to back off this Mothman stuff. You need to purge it. Yeah, I feel like I've purged it now, but but there's still a lot of there's a lot of I'm in Mothman recovery right now. Oh, hopefully I don't relapse. I may though. So this two parter didn't enable anything. (laughs) Well, we'll see. He might come up again later. But I think we want to know what everybody thinks is the deal with the Mothman. We want to know the theories. We want to know your theories. What you think he is? Email us at parallelpodcast at gmail dot com. Send us a message on Facebook. We're facebook.com slash parallel. Or tweet. Or send us a picture on Instagram of what you think the Mothman is. We're hit parabattle on both of those things. Yeah, was bring a camera. Lee. Maybe yeah. you'll be the one person that'll actually get a picture of it. Yeah, come on. Break out your Polaroids. <laughs> Take a picture of them. We'll have to figure out exactly what we think it... Uh, that was a little paranormal right there. What we think is going to happen or not happen. Based on the next tragedy in the world. Well, Singapore, watch out. Yeah, we'll have to look for some earthquakes. Yeah, now you can find that as a hoax, though, in the newer, like, 2001 forward, because we have the technology to catch stuff like this. Yeah, well, like I said... Not that you're looking for it, but it's there. All those recent sightings, aside from the Singapore ones, they were just sightings. Like, I didn't get any specific information about who saw them or what the details were. They were very brief, so... But you take... Anyone outside of our field and what we do, there might be some people that know about the Mothman because of the movie, and then they just back back study the story. But everyone in our circle knows about it. So these random people that you're getting everywhere, it was a Mothman. It was up on the tower. Who? Why? Where? Where was that point coming in? You know what? This makes. I'm in San Diego. I was at the zoo. There was a Mothman. What? You know. I think it all comes back down to one thing. Skin bags. No. No.
that's it. Don't worry, Mark and Anthony. It's all about the. Kids. It's all about the TNT. <laughs> We're signing off for Parababble, <laughs> our 25th uh, TNT episode. <laughs> Don't let me near Mothman search on Google again. If you're looking for Rob, he will be in Mothman Recovery. Yep. Or in Langelos, when I'm But if you need to get a hold of me and you find some skin bags, I'll be more than happy to investigate. Parababble out. See ya.